So, episode six is a real privilege this week because I get to interview my friend and all-round lovely gentleman who I think should be considered the next James Bond, Urban Iqbal. Hello, sir. 007 himself. Double, yeah, shmishmoney penny. Shmoney penny. So if you could do that, if you could do uh, your Sean Connery accent for the uh, whole episode, that'd be lovely. That's no problem. The trouble is my Sean Connery goes to a bit of Ken Bruce, goes, hi, it's BBC Radio Ken Bruce. <laughs> Mate, um, I found your CV a few days ago, and I'm still reading it. Um, the plethora of just, you know, voiceovers, TV roles, and then theatre, it just goes on. Disney's Aladdin, The Boy in the Dress, The RSC, Ben Lab Beckham, Broken Wings, Far Pavilions, Bombay Dreams, Work at the Old Vic, The Opera House, Chichester, productions around the UK. I mean, blimey, you've done all right, haven't you? Yeah, I've done okay. I've been quite um, blessed over the last, what, 20 years to be... Uh mixing with the right crowd and working on some great projects. I'm very, very kind of blessed, honoured and privileged at the same time. And in those wonderful shows and productions, I mean, you know, let's let's think about a few that we can look back on. What are a handful of shows that go, wow, I really did that? I think for me, the first thing, I, when I came out of um, drama school at the Royal Academy of Music, it was like, oh, what, you know, what's going to happen now? What shows gonna, am I going to go up for? And luckily... 2002 came along and um, Andrew Lloyd Webber did Bombay Dreams and I thought you know I've got to get involved in this you know it's you know it, it, it's, it's something culturally right about my my heritage and background and it's a big Bollywood show and uh, if I don't get into this show I'm not going to get into any show so I think for me the first big thing was was Bombay Dreams but prior to that I, I did this great project at the Bridewell Theatre um, the Bride I don't know if they still do it actually there was a, there was a lady there called Carol Metcalf who ran the Bridewell Theatre. And what she used to do is she used to put on, you know, sh uh, small shows and musicals. But she used to do these projects that were called Lunchtime Theatre, where a lot of, because the Bridewell's located in the city, um, he, she did a lot of kind of um, lunchtime theatre where a lot of lot of the city crowd came in and, and watched theatre, which I thought was a great idea. They used to like bring their lunch, um, you know, spend an hour and watch some theatre and then go back to work. So that for me was my first ever kind of professional gig. And I actually really, really enjoyed it. You know, we were doing, we were working like in rep, really. We were doing like a show in the evening um, and then doing some lunchtime theatre. But what was really good about that was that it was showcasing new musical writing. Because back then it was, I think it was, it was very, very difficult as a new musical theatre writer to get your material platformed. Um, and the Bridewell Theatre was a great little theatre that, you know, was able to give access to those people. Um, and it's exciting as well, being you know, having just graduated, just to get involved with in, you know, new writing, which I still do now today, and get very excited about it today. But I think that kind of like that 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 kind of conduit or um, segment from the Bridewell into Bombay Dreams for me was, I think, a significant part of my career. Yeah, have you always? I mean, looking at your CV, there's a lot of new shows and new writing, especially recently with um, the Boy in the Dress of the RSC. Is that something that you will talk to your agent about or, you know, personally you think I want to do, you know, this new show, I want to be involved in creating this. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for any actor, especially musical theatre, if you, you know, if you can get involved in new writing, um, especially with, if it involves, a, you know, a kind of a great creative team, then, you know, get your teeth stuck in. I've been quite lucky that, you know, I've been around the, the, that kind of environment where, 
new writing is about to get platformed and then put you know put on a commercial stage. So it, I, I've been very very lucky, um, you know, work, working with the, with those people and having having you know worked in a kind of a creative and new writing environment. So I think if you can get involved in that, um, sometimes it's the you know it's the toss of the coin. Sometimes you you know you, you don't get involved in that as an actor. You get involved in shows that are already running um, that are concurrent. But um, luckily for me, I've had um, I've been you know I've benefited from working with new writing. All those roles that you've originated during your career, how do you go about building up a character from the moment you get the script and then to an audience seeing it for the first time? How does that evolve? I think what's really good about musical theatre is that before it gets to kind of a commercial mainstream level, it goes through kind of the process of workshops, you know, where... Um, where people you know read through the scripts go through the music um, work with the creative team work with the characters you know whether these characters work on stage whether the characters drive the narrative of the show so you know you're kind of lucky that you get kind of a I call it you know the R&D um, you know section in, before you before the show goes to its you know before it should before the show goes on, on its commercial stage so you're able to work in a in a workshop and there's no pressure in the workshop as well there's no um, time restrictions or anything you can work at your own pace where you're creating all these characters and seeing whether the music and the and the writing and the text gel well together before a decision is made to bring it to a commercial stage how many um, workshops have you done that you've actually gone on to do? Gazillions. So we did. Uh, I mean, we did the Bombay Dreams workshop. We did the Far Pavilions workshop. And normally, these workshops, they, 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 you do about two or three of them, um, and it, and it lasts over, let's say, a year, a year and a half. Um, but generally, it's about two or three. So I've done uh, Bombay Dreams, the Far Pavilions. Um, I did uh, Bandit Like Beckham as well. Um, I did the Boy in the Dress workshop, um, and then other other writing as well that have not has not yet kind of reached um, the commercial level, um, but you know quite a few. Yeah, it must feel sort of you see it from grow from nothing to and then opening night. It must feel very special to be a part of from such an early stage. Yeah, I think you know when you when you're creating a character, for example, you know that's it's a very kind of over you know it's it's so overwhelming to to be involved in that kind of process, and you kind of make it your own as well. You've created it. It's what you know you've been trained to do, um, you know, before you know becoming a professional actor. So it's a real um, it's a real joy to create an original character and bring it to life on the stage. So you were saying before that you know you've done twenty years. In this industry which is incredible how have you seen the industry change from when you first started to today i don't know i think from a commercial level a lot of the shows are you know are still around like les mis and um, phantom of the opera um i think i think the biggest transition that we've seen is a lot of i've seen a lot of actors you know in casts they've got a lot younger and younger um, I think the producers are going straight to kind of the drama schools now and getting many graduates from drama schools and putting them into shows. So, I mean, the biggest, you know, and the biggest thing that I've seen is this transition of a lot, you know, the generation is is a lot younger in terms of the, the makeup of a cast. Um, in terms of writing, you know, I think people are trying really, really hard out there to create new writing, but it's very, very difficult because new writing and productions need money. Um, it also needs commercial value as well whether the show will sell commercially too. 
Um, so I think that's the, I mean, for me, that's the biggest transitional change. I mean, I, 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 I'm playing fathers now. I mean, that's, that's kind of an example um, of, of where I am at the stage where I am. So, but the big, the, that's the biggest, that's the biggest observation I've seen so far. And, you know, producers are grabbing people out of drama school, chucking them into the West End for their first gig. Do you think that's appropriate? Do you think it works? No, I think, I think it devalues the seasoned pro. Um, I mean, I've written about this quite a few times. I think, you know, we have a lot of seasoned professional older actors out there that are not being seen and not being considered for jobs. And these jobs are, you know, very kind of age appropriate jobs, you know, perfectly cast in terms of their age and more importantly, their experience. You know, uh, many workforces, it's not just exclusive to theatre, have a mix of young and old in their workforces. So I don't see why that can't work on a stage, you know. A lot of a lot of older actors and experienced actors can give their experience and lend their experience to a younger generation, you know. And why should not? Why should a young actor, you know, who's who's um, starting out in out in this business, want access to that invaluable knowledge? You know, this business I think is is very much all about continuity. I mean, we that that's that's the essence of what we do. We rehearse um, and we learn. Um, and then we keep doing it and doing it and doing it and continuity is paramount. So I think I think a lot of seasoned older actors are very undervalued in, in this business and they need to be considered a lot more. In terms of the younger actors, obviously you've been in this industry for a while. What have you learned the hard way um, that you could sort of the advice that you could pass down to a younger actor who's, at, who's just at drama school or who's leaving? What is something that you only realised you know, further into your career rather than being taught? I think it's important for um, younger actors when they leave drama school that they have a that they have a full repertoire. I mean, musicals have been changing for the last 10, 15 years. You know, there's Hamilton now. There is, um, you know, there's a pop musical. Um, there's new original writing. Um, there's a Sondheim show. So we have all these different genres of musicals. So all those actors graduating need to... Um, you need to need, need to learn all of that repertoire and make sure it's there, you know, part of their performing arsenal. So when they go out and audition, that they're prepared at any point, um, you know, to to and, and they're ready um, for an audition that will be suitable for that, for, you know, for that for that show. Continuity is, is is so important. You know, that's the essence of who we are as a creative force you know we rehearse every day we go through music and dialogue over and over and over again so um you know they they need to you know when they grow before when they graduate they need to keep their ear to the ground they need to be receptive to the environment what's happening in the west end our shows transferring from broadway to the west end what what shows are transferring from broadway and learn all of these shows familiarize themselves with all these different shows so you've been talking about strings to your bone I think that's so important and obviously you've been very busy away from theatre as well with degrees in business and have you done did you do law as well yeah I studied a, a law um postgraduate at BB law school back in the early 2000s and then I did my MBA, <laughs> MBA at uh master's in business at uh at uh, Westminster Business School brilliant but my question is you've obviously been so successful in theatre what what's the reason for studying these other areas I think sometimes as an actor, you need to kind of step out and, you know, step out of the limelight and recharge. You know, I think, you know, if you're working on specific, certain specific shows, it takes a mental um, and a physical, um, you know, 
strain on you. And I think it's healthy just to take a little bit of a deep breath sometimes and step out of it. And obviously education is very, very important to me. Uh, knowledge is important to me. And so it was of interest to me to go and do that. I didn't want to kind of like take it on as a profession, but the knowledge was was really important to me. Yeah, interesting. Now, something you've been really involved with, and I've got so much respect for this, is, and you're not afraid to do so, is calling out productions which have a real lack of diverse casting in them. And, you know, I think one of your sort of, um, I think catchphrases is a bit cheap, but, you know, what you say is about proportionate casting and, you know, representation in theatre. Yeah. What is your aim with championing these these things? Well, the thing is, sometimes I think, I don't know, you know, I, I question, you know, why am I even doing it? I shouldn't even have to be doing it in the first place. Is, is the Yeah, I completely agree. the first thing. I think the second thing is that over the over the years, you know, for me, there's there is a flaw in our industry. Um, and the biggest flaw is this, is that we have shows that represent, you know, South Asian actors, East Asian actors, black actors, um, everybody from, you know, all colours of the spectrum. Yet a lot of these actors are not represented in other shows. You know, we've had shows like Phantom of the Opera that have been going for over 30 years, but still the majority or 100% of those cast lists are all white actors, you know, and that for me doesn't make any kind of intellectual sense. You know, a lot of these productions are produced by um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh. And in fact, Andrew Lloyd Webber himself said in 2016 that if the stage doesn't reflect the population, then it risks becoming sidelined. Um, so what he's saying is that if we don't have you know, representation on our stages and we live in a multicultural society, what's the point? You know, then then it, it all becomes flawed. So I kind of, I think that, that that statement resonates with me and it's reflected at the moment. It's still happening in 2020, you know, 2020, where we have, you know, a lot of shows in the West End that have been going on for more than 30 years um, and still they're not fairly um, and represented by, um, you know, by performers from ethnic backgrounds. So for me, I've been advocating this flaw in this industry and this issue that, that you know, we you can't have a pool of talent and not use them and utilize them proportionately, because they've already been in successful shows. So there is precedent set. Um, so this, to me, is a huge flaw, and and I've kind of, I'm I'm getting very frustrated with it at the moment. You know, I advocate as much as I can on social media. Um, I was a member of the Race Equality Committee for Equity, um, and I'm going to be. Um, sitting again for the candidacy for um, a member, uh, you know, committee member for that for that group. Um, I think you know, we're following you know what's happening with Black Lives, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of that at the moment. I think there's been a surge of people who want to advocate more for these kind of issues, which is really good and very very healthy. And I'm very very um, it pleases me that people want to be more kind of vocal um, and articulate about this area because I think. You know, I hear this, I hear these words every day about, I hear this word unconscious bias, you know, that people are doing it and behaving this way because of unconscious bias. Well, to me, I think that's all nonsense and it's red herring. You know, in order to make a creative decision, there needs to be a thought process behind it. So there's nothing unconscious about it to me. So, um, but that's the, um, that's the excuse we're all giving. You know, even in COVID, what's happening at the moment, in, you know, it's a very unfortunate situation. You know, the, the, the reasons I'm hearing are, or we can't have representation in the show because we've just produced this show quickly and we knew these people and then we're familiar to these people. Well, to me, that's unacceptable. You know, just because COVID is there, you can't exclude, um, you know, the talent pools, which, you know, people have been working very, very hard for, 
you know, there are people out there that have been working, you know, even before, you know, the generation before me, I used to hear these stories in Bombay dreams that, you know, we've been working in this business and we've been, we have so much experience yet we keep getting ignored. And that is the, pro that's, that, that's the issue in the end is erasure is that, um, we, you know, we have so many people from different ethnic backgrounds that are experienced, that are trained, that have got from some fantastic credits on their CV yet when they go into, they're being ignored. Um, in, they're not being um, welcomed into the audition room, you know, so we need, we need to address these, address these issues. Um, and I think, you know, I, I had a conversation with um, Luke Shepard, the director of and Juliet. Um, and I, you know, I challenged, I challenged um, a concert that they were doing. I said, look, this is this is unacceptable. The majority of these actors in the show, you know, are not re are not representing the talent pool. And he was very, very kind um, as a creative, and said, look, can we sit down and we talk and, and and talk about this? So, so we sat down. And I, I I presented my um, my argument, and and he accepted my argument, and he was very, very welcoming. So, to me, you know, this it's still happening in 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 the in the industry. Yet there are some creatives out there that want to um, listen, and I hope they will listen. Yeah, wonderful, Irvin. I, I mean, I, I sort of, something's just sprang to mind, which was a show which opened fairly recently in town, and it was based in New York. And I, th I remember sort of seeing your tweet or we were chatting about it the next day at Aladdin, and you said to me, well, you know, Rory, this is this is based in New York. Why are there 30 white people and... And that's it. It's it was a bit like you were just sort of dumbfounded by the idea that it's like you know you go down the you know Fifth Avenue or whatever. It's not going to be thirty white people that walk to you. It's going to be a whole mix of races. Well, exactly. I mean, we all know that New York City is a multicultural city. It's not just white people living in the city. So when they announced the cast list of, I think it was big, it was big the musical. Um, everybody in the um, everybody in the uh, cast, I think it was thirty of the yeah, thirty of them were all white actors. And for me, that didn't make any sense because. In New York, you don't just have white people. You know, New York is, is is multicultural. So I found that very, very silly. And I think a lot of the arguments or the, a lot of, uh, there, was, there, was, there was, you know, every time you challenge these issues, there's always some kind of justification and reason why. And the reason that, that I heard or, or heard on the Vine was that, oh, we asked a lot of black actors, but a lot of black actors weren't available. And that's a lot of the re reasons and the, and the attempted justifications. Oh, and the other one was, oh, there's no, um, there's no people of, um, there's no um, ethnic minority people coming through drama schools. It's absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. You know, I'm working with the majority of the drama schools at the moment, you know, and I speak to students all the time. And I've seen the transition of, transition of students that, are, that have, you know, from drama school that have gone into, into productions, because I've been in those productions for the last 20 years. And I've seen them come in. Um, and that's absolute nonsense. They're out there. I think it's just plain laziness that people are not being opening their eyes. And, and, and it, it, well, they are opening their eyes, but they're just, people are just being ignored. So yeah, we, we, can't, we can't create shows that are based in New York and then, and then cast just white actors in the show because that's not fair representation. Yeah, Irvin, you've been so captivating. And, you know, no wonder you do uh, voiceovers for Jaguar and stuff like that, because I felt I was just, you know, melting into your voice. It was, uh, and I think, you know, what you are doing is wonderful. And I'm sure it can get frustrating at times because, you know, I, I see you sort of, you know, tweet and then tweet again going, guys, come on. And, you know, I, I don't think I was aware of bias being sort of, you know, a white man. I wasn't aware of the bias until I'm reading your tweets and going, 
this show's done it, this show, and then, you know, you keep on listening. And the more I read it, it's more like, oh, come on, this industry needs to sort of sort it out. I question myself why I'm doing it. I mean, I shouldn't have to do it. I've got better things to do. I've got a son to look after and I've got a baby. <laughs> um, but I just think for so long, somebody, you know, I, I think the, the, our community um, needs a voice, um, you know, to articulate these views and to challenge these flaws. Um, and I didn't see it happening. I know that, that a lot of it is suppressed with actors and performers. And I, know, I, and I understand and sympathize that maybe people don't want to challenge these issues because they feel that they are stepping on eggshells. And I, and I get that, and, 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 that's, and that's fine. I've, you know, I've, I've had a very good career. I'm very blessed and privileged to have a good career. And I just, what's important to me is that, you know, you, you can't say, or you can't say there's no, there's no um, ethnic minority people in drama school when there is. And then when there are people, and a lot of these people have sacrificed a lot in their lives, they've borrowed money from their parents, they've done lots of things, and they've worked really hard to get where they are, but they're still not being considered. And that, to me, is unfair and unacceptable. And if that's going to happen, then I am going to advocate. And then, to me, I, it doesn't matter to me about whether I... it. it, it whether it, it it compromises my career and thinking, oh, oh, look at him, he's got a big mouth, isn't he? He, he can't shut up about representation in the business. I, I don't care anymore. You know, I've had a good career. I've had a good run. Um, I want to advocate for those people. I want to advocate for the next generation. They deserve it. A fantastic way to end. Of thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Roy. Really, yeah, absolute pleasure to speak to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> Thanks, mate. No, Gregor, no worries.